0: We're back into Romans this week, as we have been for almost two years now. And we are in the fifth point of our outline, which is application, the implications of being right with God. And I think I have in the past mentioned this in passing or not so much passing. I used, years ago, I had a boss. And he had a phrase that he used that drove me absolutely bananas. Have you ever had a boss that used that one phrase over and over and over and you're going, oh my word, he said it again. This guy's phrase was stinking thinking. And he said it all the time. If we were struggling to find ways to fix problems on the job, he would say, you got to get out of that stinking thinking find some real answers. Drove me nuts. And it did not motivate me to actually fix things. It motivated me to want to hurt him. But he was a large man and I am not. So I did not try to hurt him. Just in my mind I hurt him. But he wasn't wrong. So much of our bad behavior stems from stinking thinking. Anybody, ever, anybody remember that old David Ball song? Yes, I admit I got a thinking problem. Anybody ever hear that song? No? Yeah, she's always on my mind. Huh? Thinking problem, y'all. Anybody got any thinking problems? I do. We do. All of us do, actually. We all fall prey to the trap of stinking thinking in our lives. But let me ask you a question. How about in our churches? Everybody, you ever been part of a church? ever led a church that had stinking thinking? Yeah, me too. Any stinking thinking going on here? Maybe. We'll say maybe. Let's leave it at a good solid maybe. Just maybe, okay? So we're going to address some stinking thinking today. And hopefully we don't leave here Still thinking stinking thinking thoughts. Okay? Last week we talked about think thinking about how we thought about what we thought about. Today we want to address if there's any stink in our stinking thinking. Okay? So if you would stand with us, we're gonna read Romans chapter twelve, verses three through eight. Why do we stand? Because God's about to talk to us, y'all, not me. But this word that's either in your hand or up on this screen, these are the very words of God. And that is awesome. So we stand out of reverence. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function... God, I do indeed entreat you this morning that you would do surgery not only on our hearts but on our minds. That we would be those who think rightly. That we would think, as Paul just said, with sober judgment so that we might know the truth. And Jesus said that if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Correct our thinking. And empower us to think rightly as a result of coming into contact with You through Your Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Just so you know, my goal was to work verses 3 through 8 today. I just couldn't do it, y'all. I couldn't get it all done. um, And not get y'all out of here at 1.30. So, um, what we're going to cover today are verses 3 through six, but just the first half of six, okay? Um, and I'll, I think I mentioned later, next week, get ready, because next week we're talking about spiritual gifts, okay? I didn't want to tack that on to the end of this message as the last few verses. I want to address that straight up and I say that to say, you're not going to agree with everything I say next week, okay? Okay? But I do want to present... I, I, I say that. Maybe you will. I don't know. But we're not going to attack this spiritual gifts list on the end of this message and just expect you to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to hit it full throttle next week. And next week will be much more of a teaching session than a preaching session. We're going to branch out of just Romans and look at First Corinthians, look at the lists of gifts and talk about, <gasps> are these things still real today? So... Be prepared for that and pray about that. But today, we look at verses 3 through 6a. And we'll start with verse 3 because that's the first one. And it's a big verse and it'll actually take up the bulk of our time this morning. Let me read it again. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned... Now listen, you see why the focus is thinking this morning? How many times do you see the word think up there? Well, not to think of himself more highly Not to think, but to think with sober judgment. Three times in this verse we see the word think. And last week, like I said, we talked about how we think about what we think about. And how we were supposed to be what? Transformed by the renewal of our minds. So what we think about is very, very... Important. And I mentioned last week, Paul would say at one point to the Corinthians, to every thought captive. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds incredibly tiresome to me. And it seems really hard to take every thought captive. How many times have you been driving up the road and you get home? How did I get here? Because I don't remember driving. Because you were thinking off somewhere else. The way we think, how we think, the discipline in our thinking is so very important. But this verse addresses something very specific about the way that we think, doesn't it? And can you just imagine? Can you just Are you just shocked out of your shoes that the first word of our verse is what? Four? No, oh, look, four. Imagine that. So if we see four, we do have to look back to see how this ties in to that vein of thought because it's it gets, again, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, it gets tiresome to me to keep going back. But we have to. We have to tie this into what we've already seen. So let me read Romans 12, 1 through 3, okay just by way of review so we can see what this 4 is for. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So this quick flyover here verses 1-3 through shows us some things. Going back two weeks ago, we're to present our bodies as our spiritual worship, as our reasonable worship. We're not to be conformed to the world like we saw last week, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that, and he this was the purpose statement in being transformed by the renewal of our minds, so that we can discern God's will. For, now directly we don't see a big connection between... Verses 1 and 2 and this 4 going into 3, but we will. Keep in mind that that 4 is there. Keep in mind that verses 1 and 2 are right there and and they loom large over what we're going to talk about today. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So what's the transition here? Worship, knowing God's will, For I say, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Any of you. You want to worship God? You want to know God's will for your life? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Now you see the connection? We can talk about changing the world... We can talk about impacting the ends of the earth until the end of time. But let me tell you something, Christian. It starts with you individually. And particularly, it starts in your mind. Now, how does that make you feel? It starts with me. It starts with me understanding that in and of myself, in the context of church... In, the contrast, in contrast to the person and work of God. And what I'm saying there is this. How I think is either in line with what God has for me or it is in contrast to what God has for me. It starts with me in my mind. Worship, be transformed, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Because if you're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think, You are contrary to the will of God. That's a pretty big deal, right? It starts with me. I am not to think more highly of myself than I ought to think. Now look at Paul's whole thought in this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now this is a pretty... Big deal, y'all. Paul prefaces it by saying he is saying this by the grace given to him. And I would expect something major and monstrous here. Appealing to God's grace for the Christian like saying, storm the gates of hell once you know the will of God. Instead, by the grace of God, Paul says, think rightly of yourself. Not more highly than you ought to. Don't be conformed, be transformed, discern God's will, and by God's grace, don't think too highly of yourself, but think with sober judgment. And I'm going to tell you again, this is the truth of it. People, this is a huge deal. I'm pumping it up as, as far as I can pump it up, I'm blowing it up, not out of proportion. This is a big, big deal. It is imperative that we get a hold of this thought. And it takes God's grace to hear, understand, and live this out. So the first thing we need to ask is, what does it mean to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think? What does that mean? And it's, not, it's not overly complicated. We live in a time and place where the world is teaching us what, and we talked about this some last week, the world teaches us and preaches to us what you deserve. What's best for you. What you want. I'm going to say some ad slogans. Some of y'all might remember them. Some of them they might still be active today. I don't know. You deserve a break today. Huh. Have it your way. Be the best that you can be. I like this one. Obey your thirst. <laughs> now what? Any Beatles fans in here? Me and my family, that's about it. They had a song, and this was back in 1968, that kind of captures the feel of all this. The, <laughs> the song is called I, Me, Mine. And it wasn't popular. It was kind of an album song. but not released. But listen to the words of this song. All through the day, I me mine, I me mine, I me mine. All through the night, I me mine, I me mine, I me mine. Now they're frightened of leaving it. Everyone's weaving it, coming on strong all the time. All through the day, I me mine. Sounds like somebody's writing my biography, is what it sounds like. We are consumed with ourselves. It's the natural order of things. Why? Because there's sin in the world. We talked last week about infants not caring if you want to sleep or not. Wet diaper, wake up. I'm hungry, wake up. I don't want to be asleep, wake up. Why? Because we all have this self-bent. We're born into a world where we are like one of those concave mirrors. Everything comes into here. Everything's focused here. And it distorts everything like those mirrors do. And everything revolves around me. That's how we are born. And some of us are 43 and we still think that way. We are born self-inflated, self-focused, selfish, selfish, selfish. Not shellfish, by the way. Some of y'all are allergic to that. We don't want to go there. But we're okay with selfish, right? (laughs) We are consumed with self. But we are not to be conformed to that as Christians. We are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we can know the will of God and think rightly of ourselves. Not more highly then we ought to think. Now listen, as somebody who has struggled over the years with control and manipulation and selfishness, I know the depths of my depravity. And I know that I've got to search my heart and I've got to think about what I'm thinking about and why I'm thinking about it and how I'm thinking about it because deep down I am really concerned with me. And that's the natural state of me and you. All through the day, I, me, mine. But here Paul says not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. What's that mean? It's a call to not think I am better than anyone, that I'm more important than anyone. When I think more highly of myself than I ought to think, I elevate myself And raise myself above other people. And Paul says plainly here don't do that. Don't think that way. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were telling me a story about they were going out to dinner with their uh, significant other. And what was the fight? Come on, couples. What was the fight? What do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? I don't care. You decide. You decide. <laughs> no, you. All the couples are laughing as we speak. No, I, I don't care. You, you pick. No, really. I, it doesn't matter to me. You pick. And so they went to Cracker Barrel. No. Well, they ended up going somewhere where the person that I was talking to really didn't want to go. And their attitude was really cruddy the rest of the evening. But man, they were being unselfish, right? (laughs) But they ruined the evening for the other person because they're sitting there going. And so the other person said, you didn't enjoy that at all. No, I hated it. It was awful. That's really what they said. It was terrible. So thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think not only makes us miserable, but it makes everybody else miserable too. And listen, this is the world that we live in, even as Christians, even as believers. So don't do that, but how should we think of ourselves? Not too highly of ourselves, but think with sober judgment. Now that's a little weird, don't you think? I mean, it seems weird to me. We don't talk that way. Sober judgment. What is sober judgment? It doesn't mean that you're not drunk. Even though I guess you kind of look at it that way, I'm kind of drunk on myself, so I'm not sober. But sober judgment means to put a moderate estimate upon oneself. To put a moderate estimate upon oneself. It means to think of yourself with a right estimation, knowing your actual value and expected contribution to a whole. Now I need to, you need to hear that again. With sub, sober judgment means to think of yourself with right estimation, knowing your actual value and your expected contribution to a whole." W-H-O-L-E. Amen. Now we're going to hit this head on. What is my contribution to the whole here? What is my actual value here? What is my expected contribution? Now be careful here. We'll get more into this in verses 5-8 through 8 next week. But for now, Let's suffice it to say that we are not to think too highly of ourselves but rather we are to think with sober judgment with a right estimate of who we are and what we are to do. And now look at the end of the verse which to me is even more troubling and even more freeing actually. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. <laughs> So don't think too highly of yourself, but think with sober judgment. Now how do I do that? How do we do that? Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now this part is the most troublesome part to me. What does that mean? Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Present my body to God as worship. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of my mind, so that I might test and discern what the will of God is, not thinking too highly of myself, but thinking with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Have you ever thought about that phrase? Now this, this bothers me. I would say bothered me, but it still kind of bothers me. And there's two things that bother me about this phrase, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The first thing that bothers me here is I'm supposed to think according to faith. And second, God assigns faith. I'm supposed to think according to faith and God assigns faith. Now I need to address that. I need to wrestle with that. We need to address that and wrestle with that. What does it mean to think according to faith? Now why faith? Why not grace? Or why not think by the power of the Holy Spirit? Or something that seems a little more doable? Or in the context of thinking about myself, why not just say, not in your own power? Wouldn't that make more sense? Now I'm asking you if something I just said makes more sense than what the Bible says. (laughs) And the answer to that is no and yes. I'm sneaking that in on you. It's no. The answer to that question is no because that's not what it says, first of all. And it's yes because that's pretty much what faith means. Stay with me. I can't save myself, but I... I can put my faith in Jesus who can save me. Right? So how do I think according to faith? John Piper puts this nicely. Let me read his quote here. The reason that Paul makes faith the measure of self is that the essence of faith is that it looks away from the self to Christ and treasures Him as infinitely valuable and significant and worthy of esteem. Here. When faith stands in front of a mirror, the mirror becomes a window and sees on the other side the glory of Christ. Stay with me. Still Piper. The measure of our new self in Christ, the renewed mind, is the degree to which we look away from ourselves to Christ as our treasure. If Christ is more to you, you are more. If Christ is less to you, you are less. Your measure rises and falls with your measure of Him. Your valuing Him is the value that you have. Your esteeming Him is the esteem that you have. Your treasuring Him is the treasure that you are." End of quote. So the measure to which I look away from myself to Christ in my thinking determines how rightly I am thinking. In and of myself, I will sabotage myself. In and of myself, I will think wrongly. But in my thinking, as I seek to take every thought captive to the obedience of who? To the obedience of Christ. I look away to Christ. Christ, how should I think? Christ, what should I think? Christ, what do I do with what I think? That is the measure by which our thinking will be successful. So it's by faith that we think. I've never thought about that before. I've read the book of Romans. I don't know. Dozens of times probably in my life. And I've never thought about what it means to think by faith according to the faith that we've been assigned. But in my thinking, I have got to look away to Christ. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. That's what Paul's saying here. That's what it means to think according to faith. So I take those thoughts captive and I don't put them through my own rubric, my own matrix. I take them and I look into the Word. I look away to Christ. Christ, how should I think about this? Now listen to me, especially younger folks, as the world screams at you one thing you better think about it according to faith and run it through the rubric of what would Jesus say about this. What does Jesus say about this in the Word? Thinking according to faith means not thinking according to your own understanding but thinking rightly by the power that He provides and the truth that He has already spoken. So I think even my thinking has to be informed by faith. Faith in the truth. That is good stuff, y'all. I, it ain't mine. It's, it's good stuff in the Bible. So what Piper is saying is if I'm to think rightly it has to be in proportion to the faith I have in the person and work of Jesus. It's His ability to think rightly that will determine if I think rightly or not. Philippians 2.5 says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. And he goes even further in 1 Corinthians 2.16, For who has has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him, but we have the mind of Christ. Can I get an amen to that? I'm not fishing for compliments here. I want you to understand we as Christians have the very mind of Christ. Wherewith we are to think rightly about everything that comes into our minds. We are double-minded people. Hopefully, as we mature in Christ, we become more and more single-minded as we filter everything through the mind of Christ. And you, Christian, have the mind of Christ. And it's my faith in the truth of these truths that will determine if I'm thinking soberly or not. So that kind of makes sense, right? But what about that second question? That pesky second question. God assigns faith... You okay with that? Now, Did you hear what I said though? I said God assigns faith. (laughs) Look back at the end of that verse again. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now what does that mean? It means that I'm supposed to think according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Which means that God assigns the measure of faith that I have. And God has assigned the measure of faith that you have as Christians. God has assigned the measure of faith that every believer has. God has determined how much faith you will have. And it seems to imply that there's differing amounts and levels of that faith. That some people will have more faith than other people. You okay with that? Now listen, this is pretty important. God has assigned you a measure of faith. Your faith may be more than somebody else's. Your faith may be less than somebody else's. You okay with that? If you are thinking rightly about yourself, you're going to be okay with that. But my faith, but my faith, your faith has been given to you as a gift from God. Amen. <laughs> God assigns the measure of faith that I have. Now we refer to this verse a lot but it, it, it's, it's right. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Did you hear what I just read? So when this says, this is not your own doing, is the gift of God, what's he referring to? Grace, being saved, or faith? And the answer is yes. Grace is the gift of God. Being saved is the gift of God. And yes, faith is is the gift of God. Now put that in the context of thinking soberly about ourselves. Even the faith that you have, even the faith that you are called to think according to is a gift that was given to you by Almighty God. The faith that saved you was a gift from Almighty God. Well, that's not what that means. Yes, that is exactly what that means. Pretty hard to think not rightly of yourself when you realize that everything you have is a gift. You cannot exalt yourself when everything that you have has been given to you. I just spent yesterday with my family up near Cincinnati... I don't know if they'll ever listen to this or not. Probably not. But they don't let you pay for nothing. We went and ate twice over a period of 24 hours. They paid for it all. They gave me a gift for graduating. They paid for it. I slept in their bed, which I guess they paid for. I don't guess they stole it. (laughs) They won't let you pay for nothing. Now it's hard for me to strut in there and say, Check me out, y'all. I just graduated. I'm just overwhelmed because I'm like, would you stop giving me so much stuff? Would you stop paying for everything? But if I'm thinking rightly, if I'm thinking soberly about myself, I receive these gifts and I say what? Thank you. you. So when I see that I've got, I don't know, just a little tiny measure of faith, do I take that little tiny bit of faith and look at somebody that seems like they have more and say, well, I wish I had more faith, God. Or if I've got a big amount of faith, do I look and say, check out my faith? No. I look and say, this faith is a gift from you. Thank you. I don't deserve it. I didn't do anything to earn it. When I look at my salvation, do I stick my chest out in front of the world? And say, look at me. I'm a child of God. Look what I did. No. I look and say, I'm a crouching beggar before the throne of God and He has filled my hands and heart with His love. And I don't deserve any of it. It's all a gift. Even the faith that saved me was a gift from Him." That's right thinking. That's sober thinking. And when we look in the context of the body, which we'll address more later in this message and next week, it's real hard to be upset about your gift when you realize that it's a gift! It's real hard to want somebody else's gift when you see the gift that you've been given. It's real hard to be jealous. It's real hard to be proud when you're thinking rightly about what God has given you, even down to the faith that saved you. That's why I love the doctrines of grace. They are so humbling and so exalting. God, I didn't do this. You did this. I did nothing to deserve this. I did nothing to conjure this up. I didn't wake up one day and get smarter and figure it out. You spoke my name and called me to yourself and I was born again. And faith was activated that you gave me. Nothing that I did. All I did was the sinning kind of hard to be proud about that too, isn't it? So back in the context of our passage today, faith is a gift from God. Even the faith that you are called to think according to is a gift that was given to you by Almighty God. (laughs) And we will look more about that in application. But for now, let's see how this fits into the rest of our context of our passage today. We're going to read... Verses 4 through 6a. 6a means the first part of verse 6. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now... Talking about what we've talked about for 30 minutes now, think about what this is saying. We need to think rightly about ourselves. We need to think soberly, and we need to think according to faith, which is from God, a gift from God. Why do we need to do those things? Here it is, y'all. Because we are not independent in our Christian lives. Great Googly Moogly, I want to scream that from the housetops. We are not independent in our Christian lives. We do not exist in Christ for ourselves. We do not exist as an island out in the ocean of God's grace. Don't think too highly of yourself. Think with sober judgment because we are part of a body. And we are placed in that body to co operate, to collaborate as members of and with one another. And we have gifts that we are given for the purpose of using for the benefit of those others that we are one with. A selfish, self-inflated, egotistical, me-first-person cannot function that way. That gets my heart racing. And I've got to be careful. <laughs> Let's just walk fairly quickly through this section of the passage. We are one body. Right, for as in one body, who is we Christians, believers, we are one body. Okay, that's pretty pretty plain. That's basic Christianity. We are the body of Christ, and I could I didn't put all these up here, but Ephesians 1, 22 through twenty three, Ephesians three six, Ephesians five twenty three, Colossians one eighteen, Colossians one twenty four, and one Corinthians twelve and following. At least show us that we are the body of Christ as believers. One body and that body is Christ's body. And as such, how many bodies does Jesus or anyone else for that sake have? I got a spare body laying around? I could use it, by the way, if it's in better shape than this one. How many bodies does Jesus have? One. And we are that body. You say, now wait a minute, the man Jesus Christ is in a physical body in heaven. That's true. And we are the analogous and literal body of Christ upon the earth. Jesus Christ still has a life to live upon this earth today. How do you live your life? You live through your body. And exalted at the right hand of God, seated in heaven, the man Jesus Christ still lives his life on earth today through his body which is the church. So how many bodies does Jesus have? He's got two. He's got two. And one day He's going to have one. We're going to be made one with Him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The two shall become one flesh. Oh, (laughs) it's too much to think about right now. But we are one body. And this body has many members. For as in one body we have many members... Arms, legs, neck, back, ears, eyes, eyelashes, leg hair, back hair. Well, some of y'all don't have that. But not and all these members do different things and, all, and the members do not all have the same function. They don't all do the same thing. So we function in our Christian life as such. One body, many members, nobody having the same function. The old saying is, if two people are exactly the same, one of them is not necessary. And to that I say, Amen. In a marriage, if two people are exactly the same, one of them is not necessary. We are complementarians. We won't get into that today. We have different roles. We all have different gifts. We're all members of the same body, but we don't all have the same function. In the body of Christ, the church, we all have a different specific function. We all have a specific gift that we use to bless the other members and thus glorify God. And how do we exercise these gifts? So we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. According to the grace given us. Now that sounds a lot like our thinking, doesn't it? We think according to faith and we exercise our gifts according to what? The grace that has been given to us. We can't think apart from faith and we can't exercise our gifts apart from grace which has been given to us. Imagine that. (laughs) You don't conjure up grace either. Interrelated, interconnected, operating by God's grace and our faith in Him. This is the normal proper Christian life. And now do you see why you have to think rightly about yourself in order to do it? It would be really easy to think too much or too little of ourselves and thus forfeit the role that we are to fulfill that has been given for us to operate in. I can hear and have heard many, many times in my life the objections from different people at different times. Well, I shouldn't have to stack chairs. I'm the preacher. Who said that? (laughs) Or, well, nobody would care if I'm at church or not because I don't do anything. The reasons, the excuses, the pride, the self-loathing, all of it leads to a wrong thinking, an improper view of oneself which is detrimental to the life of the body. We'll get there. <laughs> you see the value in right thinking in all of this? Do you see the need for being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Do you see how it connects with testing and discerning the will of God? These are not just willy-nilly sentences that have no connection to each other. And the primary goal of all of it is worship. Individual worship that leads to corporate worship which leads to the glory of God being on full display through the body of Christ. And you can't do it if you do not thinking rightly about yourself. So we better stop there for today. We're tiptoeing to the edge of an ocean of a passage at the end of verse 6 through verse 8 which deals with spiritual gifts. And like I said earlier, I don't want to blow through that as an afterthought in a couple of minutes. And we need to look at this with some detail. And we need to address some possible controversies, conflicts, differences of opinion and see what the Word says. So we'll wrap up today with some application points, okay? These just... Anybody got an address? Got like 12. How How many email addresses do you have? Yeah, well, that one's old. That one's getting too much junk. I'll start another one. We're going to talk about address in our application points, but not your address. We're going to talk about how you address things. Four application points. First, that's right, I said four. Blew your mind. I know. You were ready for three. I'm giving you four. First, you have to address how you think about yourself. This is just from the text. okay? Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. Two big dangers here as we address how we think about ourselves. Two big dangers are pride and self-pity. And they're two sides of the same coin. Pride looks down on others and says, look at those peasants. (laughs) I've got more faith than them. I am much more active in the church than they are. They don't do anything. Is that right thinking? Heavens no. But neither is self-pity, self-loathing. The other danger is looking down on yourself. And thinking, well, I've got no part to play here. Nobody cares about me. You know what that is? That's pride. Because you are focused on yourself. And they are both terribly dangerous. So you have to address how you think about yourself. And again, our passage today told us how we are to think about ourselves. Don't think too highly of yourselves but think with sober judgment. And that sobriety addresses both the arrogance and the self-pity. A right appropriation of, listen to me, church, listen to me, Christian. God saved you. God gave you grace and gave you inherent worth based on who He is. And so any arrogance that exalts itself over someone or any self-pity that lowers yourself and says, Oh, poor me, is not right thinking. I would even say it's stinking thinking. Poor me. Poor me. Who's the focus there? Me. So address the way you think about yourself. You're not too important, but you're no less important than anyone else. But preacher, every week you stand up there and you talk for an hour. It makes me no more important than anyone in this building or anyone that's not in this building this morning that is a part of our congregation. And I mean that wholeheartedly. There were people here this morning before you got here making coffee. There were people baking bread. There were people praying for this service. There were people who were just fighting a fight to get here. And every single one of them has a part to play, not just in what's going on here on Sunday mornings. That's not the big picture, y'all. But in order to get to the big picture, we've got to think rightly about ourselves. To look at the macro view, which is the bigger view, we've got to look at the micro view and start right here. So what I'm saying is first application point, address how you think about yourself. And Scripture says to think rightly about yourself with sober judgment. Second thing we need to address. Address your faith. But, 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 but Jason, you said God gives me my faith. It's true. You ever felt like you had more faith than at another point in your life? Does your faith wax and wane? My, boy, mine does. So we are to address that. I don't know how much faith God has allotted to me. I don't know the measure of faith that God has allotted to me. But I am supposed to feed that faith... If you've got faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed from here and be tossed into the sea. How much faith do you need? I mean, if you got a little bit. I mean, if He gave you a mustard seed size, you can talk to mountains and make them move. So I don't know how much I've got, but I know when I really, really, really experience the truth of that faith. Notice I didn't say when I feel like I've got faith. This is not about your emotions. This is about truth and the anchor that you have in that truth. Faith is always based on facts. The facts of who Jesus is. The facts of what the Scripture says. The facts that you are accountable to other people. The fact that other people speak into your life which builds up your faith. Tears down that false faith that's in yourself and in the things of the world and builds up, building each other up what? in our common faith. So you've got to address your faith. You can't just, oh, ho-hum, well, i got faith. God gave me faith. That's all i got. No, you've got to say, this is the faith that I have. I'm going to feed it. I'm going to nurture it. I'm going to anchor it in the truth of who God says I am through the Scriptures, through my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm going to work to beef that faith up and let it be as strong as it can possibly be in the truth of who Jesus is and what He's done for me. This is not passive faith. This is active faith. So address your faith. Feed your faith. Yes, it will come and go. Yes, it will wax and wane. Yes, it will grow and lessen. And Man, there will be times that you're going to have doubts and that faith seems like it's nothing. And that little bit of nothing is enough to move a mountain. So address your faith. Address how you think about yourself. Address your faith. Third one, and we won't get real far into this today. We'll be more about it next week. But address your place in the body. And we'll look at gifts and other things in different places next week. Anybody ever watch any wrestling? Like professional wrestling? Anybody familiar with The Rock? Dwayne Johnson, he had, a, he had a statement that he said all the time. Know your role. That's good, y'all. <laughs> the gospel according to The Rock, not what I'm looking for here. But when I'm talking about addressing your place in the body, folks, you got to know your role. How can I know my role? You could ask somebody, Hey, what could I do? What, how could I help here? What, what do you need? What do we need? You can look in the Scripture and see what it says about our roles. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 7.17 Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And then he says, this is my rule in all the churches. (laughs) I love the simplicity of that. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. God has... Called you and assigned you to lead a specific life. And that's the rule that Paul established in all the churches. Now, listen, we talked last week that the will of God is not a tiny dot, but it's a wide open space. Same thing here. Man, there's a lot of opportunity to serve, give, bless, encourage to the people that are here. Know your role in the body. also like this. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Your role first and foremost is you are the Lord's. You belong to Him. He has given you everything you have. Start there. You want to know what your role is in the body? First and foremost, know that you are the Lord's. You belong to Him. He has purchased you with the body and the blood of Jesus. And as such, He has allotted to you a measure of faith that you are to operate in, to think in, to live in according to the grace that God has given us, according to the gifts that He has given us so that we can bless and encourage each other. And it starts with knowing that we are the Lord's. Know your role. Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do at Providence. Start doing. We'll tell you if you're wrong. Promise. Every week I hear where I'm wrong. (laughs) And that's good. I want that. Know your role, address your place in the body. Address how you think about yourself. Address your faith. Address your place in the body. And finally, listen to me. You're not going to remember this application point. It's too long. (laughs) But listen to me. You can go back and listen to it again. Fourth application point. Listen to me, church. Address the truth that you are surrounded by, accompanied by, empowered by, and encouraged by so many wonderful people both here in the local body and in the church all over the world. You you feel lonely? You don't don't have to. I'm not going to sit here and tell you not to feel lonely. What I'm going to say is look around you, church. These people love you. The Lord has placed you in a body where people love you and treasure you and value you. You know how we fight anxiety? You know how we fight depression? We fight those with truth. So when that voice comes knocking and says, nobody loves you, take a picture right now. Click. These are the people that love you. These are the people that care about you. That if you call them at 3.30 in the morning and said, I need you to come over. Let me get my Crocs on. I'm coming. <laughs> That's why we're crocs, because they're easy to get into at 3 30 in the morning when somebody calls. That's a bunch of croc, ain't it? <laughs> address the truth that you, Christian, individual Christian, married Christian family, single Christian, address the truth that you are surrounded by, accompanied by, empowered by, and encouraged by so many wonderful people, both here in the local body and in the church all over the world. I can go to Africa right now. And be surrounded by Christian brothers and sisters. I can go to Poland right now and be surrounded by brothers and sisters. Janetta, where's Janetta? I can right there beside Poland. You're right there. Japan's right there beside Poland. You can go to Japan in a few weeks and be surrounded by brothers and sisters because God loves us so much; He wants us to be surrounded by people who love us and care for us. Whew. Man, that's good news. And I'm telling you what, I sit in that therapy office day after day and people are lonely and people are hopeless. We need not be, church. We need not be. Yes, you should address your place in the body as we said before, but understand that the body is mutually inclusive and mutually beneficial. And our life together is lived in order to magnify the head. And who's the head of the body, y'all? Jesus is. Now I'm going to do something a little bit dangerous. I'm going to read in closing 16 verses out of Ephesians that sums this up. As we talk about addressing how we think about ourselves, how we address our faith, how we address our place in the body, and how we address this truth of knowing that we are part of something that is wonderful, beautiful, and powerful to help us live our lives. Ephesians 4, 1-16. Listen to this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Sounds a lot like Romans 12, doesn't it? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, And He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean? But that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints... Boy, that sounds familiar. For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Listen Into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Y'all, that's good. Good. And when we think rightly about ourselves, this is what we get. I want that. I'm going to tell you a little secret. I got that. So do you. (laughs) We will address gifts next week. But for now, know that as we think rightly about ourselves and think by faith and employ our gifts by grace, we serve together, love each other, and mature together while we grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Y'all, that's some good, right thinking there. Not a bit of stink to it at all. Let's pray. God, you know our frame that we are but dust. But so was Adam. And you breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. Even now, Lord Jesus, breathe on us that we might experience the very life of Christ in us and through us as we grow up into maturity into the head. God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to think rightly of ourselves individually with sober judgment so that we can love and serve the people that you've placed around us and be loved and served by them as well. We need your help in that, God, because we are selfish. Whether it's through pride or self-loathing, we're very selfish. But we don't have to be. You have given us a way not to be. Help us to think rightly and give you glory and love and serve each other. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We just stand and receive this benediction, a familiar one. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.